Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I even find myself using them. Well, good morning. I am honestly so excited about today's guest because I don't know if it's the run up to Christmas or pregnancy or the fact that Alf is still waking up. It's gone from 5 a.m. starts to um, 3.30 a.m. starts. But I'm going to say that I'm feeling overwhelmed with everything and um, my guest today is someone who I always actually go to her Instagram for positivity and inspiration so honestly it couldn't come at the best time at a better time to welcome you onto the podcast she is a spiritual mentor um, she basically dedicates her time and career to helping women reclaim their power she's the founder of the thrive project um, and she is a mum to a four-year-old girl i can't believe she's four now uh, esme it's megan rose lane hi thank you so much for having me honestly on. i've wanted to have you on for so long because oh. I've followed you. We have the same agent, so we kind of are connected in that way. But I've followed you since even before I was a mom, even before I wanted to have children, for not only like your positive, I'm going to say daily assurances, but also you made me really excited at the prospect of motherhood at the time when I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I want to be a mom. Um, how are you? I'm okay. It's funny because we both just walked in here just now and said hi to each other and you were super overwhelmed and like teary and I was like, I'm really hormonal. <laughs> yeah, we, we can't guarantee there'll be no tears on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, I just said that. I was like, I might cry today. So if there's a t if there's a subject that's a bit emotional, I'm, I'm like, you know, when you can feel the, the tears behind your eyes and a bit like that today. I'd love to rewind all the way back to who you were before you were a mum because like I mentioned, you're someone that I find so inspiring, even before I became a parent myself and kind of appreciated how hard it is to be calm and centered as a parent, because I feel like I'm not coping with all the constant, the pressures and the juggle. So now that I am one, I appreciate everything that you've created since becoming a mom even more so. So who were you before motherhood <laughs> who was i when i think about who i was i see who i am now but just covered in layers and layers and layers of fear like i was already in there and i would shine through in moments but i was really suffocated by comparison and fear um i didn't know what i wanted to do i didn't know who i wanted to be i was in a lot of debt i'd moved to london and was working in jobs that were just so many hours, night shifts, and um, I just could never seem to get out of my overdraft. And I was always borrowing money and 
you know, there was a time where I was kind of like looking under the sofa cushions for coins to buy food. I was living that London life where you could barely make ends meet. And um, I decided to become a makeup artist because I knew I wanted to be freelance and I, I, it was a passion of mine, makeup. So I decided to to go down that route, but it just really sucked me into a world of comparison and perfectionism. I really became a perfectionist with them. Um, the way I showed up online, it was like a, it was like a different reality entirely. The person that I put out online was just not who I was. Um, Is that in terms of like filters or yeah. happiness or mm, everything? I think I just hid a lot of what was really going on, mainly because I wasn't even honest with myself about what was really going on. I didn't have the the self awareness to actually even be vulnerable because I was kidding myself. I was lying to myself that I was happy, and that you know the more likes and followers and th that I got on the more comments about being beautiful or my makeup being perfect or whatever was what would validate me. And I relied on that and it was empty. And I was so, it really fed. I had an eating disorder as well. I had bulimia, which is when I got pregnant was when I knew that that had to stop because I was like, this isn't just about me anymore. So yeah, before having Esme, the, I would say I was in a really, really dark place. Wow. So you got pregnant. How mm -hmm. is it going through the changes of pregnancy with an eating disorder mm -hmm. like you said obviously there's that part of like it's not about me but yeah. as I'm sure we will all say even if you're so comfortable with yourself it is really difficult to go through those pregnant and postnatal changes even just to be like what do I wear <laughs> literally it's, it's like a whole identity crisis like yeah. you start to really lose yourself because you are the thing with becoming pregnant and the thing with then becoming a mom is that you go through so many stages of ha having to become a new version of yourself right you're like constantly dying and being reborn through every stage and that process in itself requires a lot of courage because you have to keep letting go of that past version of you and stepping into this new version mm -hmm. there's a lot of fear around what you might lose when you have your baby and am I still going to be able to live my life the way I want to live it. Who am I going to be? There's just so much fear. Am I going to be a good mom? Was like, my, I Googled that like every day. Like, what if I'm not a good mom? Like I'd, I had so much self-doubt. So with the eating disorder stuff, I'd actually been on quite a healing journey with it. And I think eating disorder recovery is a very, for me, it was a very slow process. It, it takes time and it takes practice and it takes a lot of self-forgiveness and you will or I did relapse quite a lot. And I think what happened is I got pregnant and I was actually at a quite a good stage with it. I was really coming out the other side of it. And then I think the morning sickness really triggered me back into it because it was, um, my morning sickness was terrible. I was just being sick all day, every day. It was like having a bad hangover like 24 hours a day. And I just, all I could do was sleep to not feel it. And I think that that time spent with my head in the toilet was so triggering for me because it was where I used to spend a lot of time and I was trying to really come out of that and it just took me straight back there. Yeah, I think there was something about feeling like the fear of gaining weight while being pregnant, then the sickness that actually had a lot of diet culture of like, oh, well, at least I'm not going to gain weight, you know, and that was really hard because I was feeding into that diet culture of like, can I be pregnant and have a baby and not gain any weight? like <laughs> bizarre, but that's kind of where it took me in my head. And I think that one of the hardest things was when the morning sickness stopped to not continue making myself sick because it had become so routine, you know? Did you find it difficult with the kind of running commentary? Maybe you didn't experience this, but I find when pregnant, which mm. obviously I currently am, but also in those postnatal days, people say things without really thinking. Yeah. So like, the fact that you're sick or lots of people are sick, especially in the first trimester and people are like, oh, at least, you, at, least you're, at least you'll be skinny. Yeah. Or say when I got COVID in the postnatal days and I was like depressed and people were like, oh, but at least you lose weight. And it's like, but that's not my only goal. I just want to yeah. be happy and I just want to <laughs> be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, other people's comments is something that I, I learned to kind of shut out a very long time ago. And I think that was probably a, a similar time to that, I think receiving hate online has been something that is, or not even just hate, but like unsolicited advice, I think has been something, and people have good intentions with that too. So it's not hate, um, there's a mixture, but I think that it's a, a beautiful opportunity to keep coming home to your own truth and your own self and strengthening that inner voice of like knowing when someone says something and being like, that's your projection, that's your idea, that's your conditioning, it's, it's not mine anymore. And I think that actually, those those pieces of advice, I found power in rejecting them 
and standing strong in my own truth. How would you encourage other people to get to that point? Because I have to say, I, I struggle less with the unsolicited advice this time, mainly mm. because I have more empathy for mums. So I yeah. kind of see where it's coming from. Even the just you wait negative comments. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of understand why it's triggering for lots of mums to see people who are pregnant first time yeah. talking about how tired they are. And I understand being like, I understand that desire to be like, just you wait, but obviously I wouldn't do it because I know how like anxiety inducing it is. But yeah. how, for anyone who is struggling, whether it's their first pregnancy or they're into motherhood and especially around body image, how did you get to a point where you could have an opinion filter? Oh, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because there's so many different opinions and so many different people, but my filter for people's opinions is, and this is a general rule, not just for pregnancy stuff or whatever, but it's like, if someone's giving me feedback, my filter is, do I do my values align with this person's values? Like, is this my kind of person? Because if they have some wild opinions, they're a Trump supporter or something, I already know that their feedback has nothing to do with me and I'm not gonna listen to it. it it's not someone that aligns with me. So therefore that immediately like cuts them out and their opinion out. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? And then it's like, does this person have my best interests at heart? And I think that advice without compassion and without grace is often just like abuse or like um, negative kind of attack or it's them just projecting onto you and it's not really for you. So I ask like, do I trust this person? Do our values align? And did this advice come from the heart? And then, the next filter is like, does it feel true for me? And that's where you really have to be in touch with your own intuition and your own inner guidance system and be like, does this feel true? And maybe it does, maybe they give feedback and you're like, actually, that's quite good advice. I'm gonna take that on. Or it's, dis it's I think it's the practice of discernment, just to be discerning and be like, take a piece of information and say, does it feel true for me? Maybe, or does it not? Then throw it away. You yeah. don't have to absorb everything and, and internalize it all. I'd say that's something I'm struggling with at the moment because Alf isn't sleeping and yeah. I'm pregnant. I have this fear because I feel like you forget the sleep deprivation you and do. everything of those newborn yeah. sort of times. <laughs> and then obviously our brains trick us into like, maybe I want to do this again. Yeah. And here I am with another baby on the way and Alf obviously um, like with sleep progression or illness or molars coming through, whatever the little reasons are that he's not sleeping, which I have yeah. sympathy for him for. Mm. But it's all the, that I really need to f believe that things are going to get better because I was in such a dark place in that first year with Alf. So then when people come in my DMs being like, if you think it's hard now, just you wait until you have two babies. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I really don't, like my brain cannot believe that it can get worse. Like, I need to believe yeah. that my new baby is gonna be a really good sleeper and that Alf is gonna get through these 4 a.m. wake-ups yeah. before the baby comes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm listening, like almost writing notes, like, yes, I need to remember that it's not about me. And it also doesn't affect my experience. Yeah, exactly. And also just like knowing how resilient you are and how strong you are and how this stage that, you know, may be difficult and that's okay where you've got two and you're juggling so much, it won't last forever. And I think that's one thing that I find a lot of comfort in when things get hard and when I know things are gonna be tough. And it's almost like accepting, okay, this is gonna be hard, but I'm super resilient. I've survived every single challenge life has thrown at me so far. Mums are incredible. We're like super women. And really just knowing that nothing lasts forever, like that chapter will be over at some point and you are supported and you've got everything that you need and people will try and plant fear in you and they will get a little kick out of that. So it's really just that, again, self-protection and, and um, it's hard because you're in a position where you are constantly being bombarded with um, advice and opinions because you are a vulnerable person online, you know, and people think that they almost because you share about your life and I experienced this back when I, I used to share a lot more than I do now and now I don't anymore. I've put a bit of a protection up because I found it quite draining. And I think that's one thing that I can empathize with you on. It's like people think, I think people can look at your life online and think it's almost like a soap. Do you know what I mean? Like they're following a storyline and it's like, you're not a real human and they get to like have their say and whatever. And, and you're a human with feelings and 
you have ups and downs and emotions and self-doubt and stuff. And I don't think people sometimes realize that when they chime in that that can have such a big effect on you. Like one comment, one line, one word can have a, a really big knock. Yeah, I suppose we're in it on social media, but then I have friends who aren't on social media at all and there is still those people chiming in. Yeah. I think it's something, I think that's because motherhood and pregnancy is so personal and so life-changing, isn't it? That it mm-hmm. is hard not to like want to give advice, even if it's well-intentioned. Yeah. Um, and family can be a big one as well. Yeah. Even just like your own mom or yeah. stepmom or, you know, mother-in-law or father-in-law or cousin (laughs) you can just be like people who are actually close to you and you're like ah please stop do you have advice with trying to instill boundaries with when it comes to family members because that can be hard because obviously you don't want to upset them but I know lots of people who really struggle Uh, my friend who I just mentioned to isn't on social media her mum's always mentioning her weight yeah um especially in pregnancy even in pregnancy she was like if you make if you weigh yourself and only get this much above your normal weight then hopefully you can leave hospital being the same weight as you were before your baby Mm -hmm. so how can you (laughs) <laughs> in a healthy and loving way. Yeah, and that's the key. Because people have it with in-laws and parents, like you said, of yeah. just people telling you what they think is best for you or your child. Yeah, because they're important relationships and you want to keep them healthy and you want to keep them, you know, you don't want to fall out with family um, necessarily. Sometimes people, you kind of have to distance yourself. But I think when it comes to setting a boundary, it's like just talking about how it makes you feel. And being like, hey, when you say that, like that really makes me feel uncomfortable and it triggers this from childhood or it makes me feel like this and very much make it about how it makes you feel rather than being accusatory or being like, you know, name calling or kind of like being too defensive. And I think that's my favorite way or the the way that I think is most effective to communicate a boundary is like in a loving way. It's like, hey, that really makes me feel uncomfortable. And if that person cares about you, they're gonna go, oh, I'm so sorry. And then when they do it again, you just say, hey, you you did that again. And then if it keeps happening and they don't respect your boundaries, that's when you know for your own self-preservation to distance yourself from that person. That's really good advice. And um, I know I've kind of like jumped around a little bit, but I do want to touch on um, like body image and finding Mm -hmm. love for your body, especially in your postnatal body, because you're someone that I feel does show self-love and kind of inspires other people to love themselves. So what advice would you um, give? Because I guess with your experience of disordered eating, which Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure lots of people relate to, how did you get to that point where you were like, I actually love my body? I mean, I still struggle with it now. Um, It's so funny because when I'm really, really honest, I was in a relationship for the first year of postpartum. And that year I felt very secure in that relationship and I felt loved um, for who I was. And I felt like my body wasn't an issue in terms of feeling loved. Mm -hmm. So I I was very open with my body changes, body confidence. I found a real sense of empowerment in that. When I became single, it got hard again because I didn't have that sense of safety and security of being in a relationship. And I felt, I, I definitely went through a process of thinking, I now need to attract someone and fell back into the diet culture kind of mindset of like, okay, I've got to get in shape, air quotes. Um, And that was really hard. So I really feel like the body confidence journey is, um, I don't, for me personally, it's not like I got to a point where I was like, oh my God, I love my body now. And and then it just, that was it forever. It's a roller coaster of ups and downs and there's some months where I feel amazing. And to be honest, hormones play such a big a role in it. I was just saying this the other day to my friend. I was like, when I'm due on my period or when I'm ovulating, it's like I put on a pair of goggles that make everything look cloudy. And I'm like, why is the same body that I was living in yesterday that was so empowered? And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I feel so sexy and whatever. And then I put on some pair of hormonal goggles and now I'm looking at the same body and all I can find is fault. And it's like, I think I don't always trust the way I see myself. I have to be careful with um, which lens I'm looking at myself through. And I think that that's been a huge part of the, the body confidence journey. It's like, are you looking at your body through the lens of love and clarity from an empowered place and also seeing yourself as more than a body? That was like the biggest key for me. It was like, if you think that your body is all you are, then you are going to spend your entire life obsessing over it and picking at it. And I love to see the body as the vehicle that holds our soul 
And that's why I love doing the, that's where really the spiritual side of things came in for me because that was part of my healing journey was to figure out who am I beyond this body? This body is like the the home that carries me. It's like a ship carrying precious cargo. You know, the ship is not the the the, the precious cargo. It's just what's carrying it through on its journey. And what is the precious cargo then? And so it's my purpose, it's my soul, it's my gift, it's my love, it's, you know, how I help other people, what, how much I give. Um, and I think focusing on those things really helped me help the, it, it tipped the scale so that it was less about the outer shell and more about what's inside. Um, so that was, that was huge. Yeah. I love, I love that. And I think it's so important because as much as I love like the body confidence movement that's taking shape and hopefully it's going to have such a positive impact, it also does kind of add this pressure of like, I should love myself because other people are telling me to love myself. Like, yeah. why am I not overcoming diet culture? Because I feel like we all now know, or most of us would say we know, we recognize that it's bullshit or that it's yeah. profiteering from these billionaire companies and, you know, the double standards of beauty standards and even how the dad bod is like loved, but the mum bod is like shameful. Yeah. One of the things that I've always loved, and actually you put it on your Instagram again recently, is that obviously you're raising a daughter. And you do affirmations with her. I do. Can you talk about that? Especially now I'm about to become a mum to a daughter, although I know it's equally as important to make yeah. sons feel loved as well. But yeah. how are you trying to raise her in a way that hopefully she won't have the same hang-ups and emotional. <laughs> body? Um, I, I feel like... oh. I feel like with my daughter, it's like I want to give her everything that I didn't have. Uh, and, I, and I had a great upbringing with wonderful parents, don't get me wrong, but there was an element of emotional support and a foundational level of self-love that I was not given um, and or had modeled to me from my mom because she had her own insecurities and her own issues and her own history with an eating disorder. And, you know, it is that generational trauma that's passed down. Yeah. And for me, I just know that I'm standing in this position after having to take on my own healing journey of like, I never want my daughter to go through what I went through in terms of the level of self-hatred, self-loathing, self-rejection, self-abandonment. Like I could not have been more cruel to myself growing up. I didn't know how to love myself. I wasn't taught it. And I think in that generation, there was something about mod not even just modesty, but like self-hate that was quite cool. It was almost cool. It was like, the done thing. It was like made you more likable to hate yourself because then you weren't a threat. And this is deep patriarchal sister wound, mother wound stuff of like women should just play so small and, and hate themselves into submission. And then that makes them more likable, more palatable, more easy to be around, less threatening, all of these things that come from that. And it's so deeply ingrained with no self-awareness of that. You do just follow that conditioning. That is just becomes a part of, of kind of unless you have someone in your life as a mother or a, you know, that role to show you how to love yourself, you will get swept along with the culture. And, and, and that's what it was like. God, I hard relate to this so much. I even remember things like offhand comments, whether it was my mom or my mom's friends of being like, oh, enjoy. Oh, you get to eat everything. Lucky you. Like when yeah. you get to my age. And I remember even stepping into my twenties thinking, oh, at what age am I going to get to where I can't, enjoy my food anymore but it was yeah. so built into me or remembering my mum like only eating cottage cheese oh my god but I was in Slimming World at 12 <laughs> at 12 years old I went to Slimming World because I was I was not the, the kind of kid that could eat wherever she wanted to not gain weight I was you know I was I would put on weight easily and I had a really difficult relationship with food from being about six because of a comment that someone said to me when I was younger that really stuck with me and that's when my body issues body image issues started but yeah like I remember going to Slimming World and being weighed at 12 years old. Wow. And going on a diet and eating cottage cheese and tuna and all you sorts know, of- I always find even with dating as a teenager that mm. I remember thinking, I can't wait to get to my twenties when boys aren't players anymore. And it never crossed my mind that I could implement boundaries where mm. if someone cheated on me, I could walk away. It was almost like better to be with them because they were like the sort of social status. And also you didn't want to like add to your numbers because obviously how many people you slept with was such a big thing yeah, then yeah, that yeah. I like stayed with someone. And I wish that I had like a maternal figure, whether that was my mum or not, just to be like, 
you don't have to put up with this or like yeah. there is never any like emotional dialogue. Totally. And I think that again, I had the same thing with boys. It was almost like they were the prize yeah. to be earned by the woman. That's how I was kind of, that's the experience I had with school and growing up. It was like, can I get that guy? Can we change them? Yeah. And can we change them? And yeah, can we make them, la- can they make, can, can we make them into what we, we really need as women? Yeah. Um, and they, you know, young boys, they don't, they don't want to play, <laughs> play ball with that. They, they want to do their own thing and go off and, you know, that was my experience anyway. But yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of lessons growing up as so a woman. So how are you trying to parent Esme or mother Esme in a way that she won't? Because I'm sure there'll be lots of people being like, yeah, I felt like this and this is my yeah. upbringing. And whether they're raising a son or a daughter, they might be like, how can I yeah. overcome those generational Patterns. I mean, I think for me, like shadow work has pr- probably been the best thing in the world for my relationship with Esme and the way that I parent. Um, shadow work is where we look at the parts of us that act in ways out of fear um, and frustration and anger. And we really go into that part of us and, and figure out what what we've rejected within ourselves, what part of us has been abandoned and is reacting in that way. Um, And I think that it generally just makes you a more love-filled person. And I think that's what children need. They need like an example. And I, for me, it's not to teach Esme how to be, it's to, it's to model it to her because children learn through example. They learn, you say one thing, you tell your child to be kind they might listen to that, but then when they see you being unkind, they will model that behavior. Your words mean nothing without your actions behind it. And it's like, become the person that you want your child to grow up to be because they are gonna, I became my own mom, you know, yeah. and I had to then heal a lot. And my mom's great. She's a, she's wonderful. And we are such such close friends. And I and luckily I got her strongest, <laughs> her strongest traits and gifts as well as her more, her more shadowy ones. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, the the main thing I would say. It's like, who are you being? Because it's not about telling, telling a child how to live and how to act and then contradicting that behavior within your own actions. You know, it's, it's modeling it. So when I look in the mirror at my own body, I tell myself how beautiful I am in front of her. So she doesn't just see a mom that tells her to say affirmations and then looks in the mirror and slags herself off. You know, my mum would stand there every single day saying, my jeans don't fit and this is too small and this is, I've gained weight and getting angry and frustrated at her body. And that's what I learned through example. So yeah, that's like one of the the key things I really think is so important. How do you get into shadow work? Because I feel like there are these sort of terms that we hear a lot now. I mean, inner child work is shadow work. Inner child work. I, I see the shadow like a, um, I imagine it like a cupboard and all the parts of us that we don't feel are acceptable to the world. So the parts of us that we have been shamed for or told that aren't go- told us that by other people that aren't good enough, or we've been rejected for, or maybe we've been in a friendship and they've said, you know, we don't want to be friends with you because of X, Y, Z. All of those parts of you that you feel ashamed of, they go into the shadow. So I imagine that we put them into the cupboard behind us, right? And then we show up to the world with this, um, one side of us, the side that we believe is acceptable and lovable and and people will not reject, right? So, and we think that we've put all of this stuff back in the cupboard and it's not gonna run our lives and it's gonna just stay hidden, but that's not how the shadow works. Like shame thrives in secrecy. So really the parts of you that you have abandoned and rejected because you believe they're not lovable, they start to actually run your life. They start to be the the driver of your actions, you know? If you're being bitchy, if you're being jealous, if you're, you know, gossiping about other women, that's a shadow aspect of yourself. And underneath it, deep, if you go deep underneath, there's a part of you that doesn't feel loved and doesn't feel accepted. And that and that behavior, the gossip, the jealousy, the bitchiness is actually a symptom of a part of you that's not feeling loved. So shadow work goes into the cupboard and takes out those parts and says, okay, hey, how old were you when this happened? And how can you go now and 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 we do it through meditation and I do it through EFT, which is like a tapping mm-hmm. practice. In a child work, I work with coaches, mentors, and they'll take you back into that memory of the time that when you were like four years old and someone said something really cruel to you and made you feel really like unworthy in that moment and you internalized it and it became a part of who you are. And you go back into that memory and you close your eyes and you go and you sit with that four-year-old and say, hey, like I love you so much. 
Like, I'm here for you. I know that that person said this mean thing, but it wasn't true. They were just projecting. And you give that four-year-old what they needed in that moment to not internalize that belief, to feel safe and secure. So what we do is we go into our shadow and we rescue the parts of ourselves that don't feel loved. And shadow that's why shadow work is so powerful. Um, and it's definitely something that's hard to do alone. That's why I always, I always have a mentor and we always go into shadow work. And, and I'll sit there and be like, hey, this week I did this thing and it didn't feel good. And then my coach will be like, okay, so tell me more about it and I'll go into the detail of it. And we'll get to the, the wound underneath. When I was 11, my friend said this and it was in that moment that I stopped using my voice or whatever it is. So it's it's definitely a big subject. I love that you're trying to talk about something really serious and interesting, but you had a fly like going I around. <laughs> I was really trying not to laugh and I was like, it's a really inappropriate time to laugh. At least it didn't go in my mouth. <laughs> so what I'm really fascinated by is, so I feel like I was quite a calm, positive person before I had a child and now I'm like in the, I felt like I lost all of that. Whereas you've kind of gone the other way. So when you had Esme and she was here, what was your journey into motherhood like? Because that that's obviously when you started to do a lot of the work, but yeah. how do you even find like the clarity and the headspace? Even I remember you doing the book about getting up at 5 a.m. And yeah. sometimes now, especially when I was awake at 3.30 and I sit with him and I'm like, I can't even yeah. do the mental health thing of getting up at 5 a.m. before the house is awake because he's bloody awake. So how has how was your journey into motherhood? Was it all kind of like positive or did you find you went into a dark place and that's what's made you come out of the other side? Well, I think that the main thing is that I was in debt when I got pregnant. So for me, like my number one thing was like, I have to be able to keep a roof over my child's head. How am I going to do this? Like, what do I need to do to get myself out of this situation? My relationship with money is really bad. My self-worth wasn't, I didn't believe that I deserved to make that much money. They were had some like deep rooted money beliefs that I had to figure out. And I think part of me when Esme was four months old, you know, going to bed really early and getting up at 5am because I know that's when my brain works best. That's my time where the world hasn't, woken up yet and I am just in my genius zone but that's personal for me it's not a pressure for everyone else to do the same thing you have to figure out who you are and what works for you some people love to work at 9 p.m when the baby's in bed but by that time my brain's like scrambled egg it's just like not gonna happen so I started waking up at five and I started listening to meditations and affirmation tracks and and journaling about like okay what's going on how am I gonna take control of my life and create my own business or to start making money or to do something and I just I downloaded courses, workbooks, went on YouTube and it was just my time for me to like know that I was growing in some way. Yeah. Um, but motherhood was was really hard. Like it was, I loved it. It came naturally to me in, in a lot of ways, but also I was going through the breakdown of my relationship at the same time. So the first year of Esme's life was a lot of arguing with my ex and, um, a lot of, it was a whole new chapter for us as you know like you you have to you both have to become two completely different people the intimacy is lost you don't have sex as much anywhere near as much like i remember he would just be downstairs playing on his like xbox or playstation or whatever it was until like late and i'd be going to bed on my own every night and i think there was a time where i was like I've never felt more lonely in my life. Like I'm a new mom, I've got this baby and I'm in a relationship, but I feel so abandoned. And I'm in London with not much family around. I have one sister in London and she's in East London. So she's quite far from me. I just didn't feel supported or nurtured or held. It was really hard. So, um, and then after a year I, we broke up and I had to move out on my own and do it on my own. Um, I think you have to also remember that I, Esme is with her dad 50% of the time, which as hard as that emotionally is for me in terms of missing her and not being around her, which I've had to like work through a lot. It also gave me space and time. Like imagine if your your baby was taken away from you 50% of the time, you'd be like, right, what, do I, what am I gonna do with this time? So when you see, once you get over the loneliness of it and you're like, oh my God, I miss them so much. And you know, between the FaceTimes and the things like that, like you do, it opens up more free time. And I am very, I, I think there's a level of privilege in that. Like co-parenting is not the easiest thing in the world, but 
if there was one thing that I would take from that that maybe made my journey a bit easier is that I was had this I had free time open up when we broke up. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I even find myself using them. Like you kind of touched on, all relationships seem to change when you become parents. Mm -hmm. At what point do you, or did you, in your experience, decide this isn't just, this is just isn't going to work? Because I feel like so many people listening will be going through something and the shift in their relationship. At what point are you like, actually, the right thing to do is, to walk away from this and how did it feel knowing that you were kind of completely changing even from the financial side of things i think that was one of the reasons why i wanted to become financially independent because there's nothing more disempowering than feeling trapped in a relationship and wanting to leave but not being able to afford to do it that's huge and um it was scary. It was scary financially. It was one of the, it, I was terrified of what people on Instagram would say. That was huge because I was sharing so much of my life. I knew I'd have to like tell people and people were going to have opinions. And those opinions, were, a lot of them were probably going to be really judgmental. And I was already judging myself, right? So I was filled with shame and guilt. But I didn't want Esme to be around arguing. And she was, like we were arguing. And there was, we weren't always like shouting, shouting, but it was the energy and there was, there was shouting, but I just, it wasn't nice for her to be around. And I knew that if I was going to put her first, we had to create a peaceful environment for her. And that peace would come from us being separate. And I just knew in that moment, like we, we, I got to a point where I'd put it off and put it off and put it off. And it just like one day I was like, I, I, I have to go, this is not working. And I think with a one-year-old, the idea of actually like getting therapy and working through it was just such a big just to such a big task to take on. And both of us were depleted and empty and I was breastfeeding still. And, you know, I just didn't want to go through that at that time. I didn't feel ready. And there was something inside me that was like, you have to do it on your own. There's there's a voice inside you that that tells you what to do. Yeah. And I, I'm really, with three meditation, me and that voice are just like this. Like we're so, we're just touch tight. And I just know when my intuition's telling me to do something, to go with it. And I, I do I do find the courage to step into that. So I just did it. And I was like, and it was the best decision I could have ever have made. I love um, that advice as well. And I guess it goes back to what you were saying about being, not just saying things with words, but being the action that you want her 
to see because yeah because I, I always think like even with Tommy and I and we're in a really good place now but there was a point when I felt so much resentment and yeah. all those emotions <laughs> and I remember being like at what point do we break up or at yeah. what point do we kind of try and get through it and I guess like yeah we have like the peace and the love and respect for the most part Mm-hmm. Of course, we bicker and stuff, but Human. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea of being like, well, what is the right environment for this yeah. person? Because I think generationally, we grew up in a time where people would stay together for the kids yeah, as exactly. if that was the best thing. Yeah. And I think that just takes, again, a bit of discernment and being like, you know your relationship, you know yourself. Nobody gets to decide that for you. And um, also, like, in terms of the embodiment piece, like, what would I tell Esme to do if she was in a relationship where she didn't feel happy? Like I tell her to leave, you know. Um, so again, embodying what you would want your ch- for your child, yeah. And how did you navigate the sort of co-parenting? Like for anyone who is maybe like thinking or putting yeah. it off, like you were, what advice could you give to them? I mean, Esme's dad is an amazing dad. He's incredible, and uh, he cares about her so much. Like his love for her is just—he can look at her and just cry because he just—he's just so in love with her, and. I never had any problems with, well, he wanted to take 50% of the time. He wouldn't settle for any less. Our arguments and our disagreements in the relationship were very much rooted in our own childhood wounds, right? They're just clashed and relationships are the biggest mirror for your childhood wounds. They bring everything up without living with each other and without being around each other and triggering each other's shit. We get on really well. And that was the best part of our relationship is that we were like, when we were good, we were like best friends. We would make funny skits together and funny videos together. We would laugh constantly, like we'd be in hysterics. So actually when we were co-parenting, that that element came back and we just became like really good friends who were just sharing. We still loved each other, but like, and that took a while, but, but I think that Esme's dad and I both value as one of our like, you know, core values is peace we want a peaceful life. I want a peaceful life. And so does he. Um, so we, there was the odd disagreement and there was things that we weren't always aligned on, but we just made it work. And I think the main thing would be putting our egos to one side and Esme's best interests at the heart of everything that we do. And then obviously Esme's four now. So at what point through, you know, new motherhood and the breakup what point did you start to feel like the version of yourself now that you're not only empowered yourself but dedicating your career to helping empower other women um I don't really know what point it was at I feel like maybe a year after so maybe she was like two and I it was kind of when lockdown happened and I was like I'd done so much work on myself and I'd gone so deep into my own healing and worked with some incredible coaches and really invested in myself like every penny I made I just put into invested in myself to grow apart from paying my rent (laughs) (laughs) and um and that's when I was like I this is this is my path like I have to share this with other women and I know how to do it and I know how to communicate with them and I get it and um, I think she would have been around, around two and I started doing like online workshops and stuff like that to begin with. What is the Thrive Project? Could you talk about what <laughs> it is that you do to help women? And Because maybe there are people listening like, yeah. I need to feel happy or I want to feel empowered or I want to find myself after motherhood. Yeah. yeah, I created a 10-week course called the Thrive Project, which is basically everything that I learned that took me from feeling so worthless and so just in such a dark place feeling like I had no power over my own life, feeling totally in victim consciousness. The world was against me. I just, and and that's the world that I created with those beliefs. And it was how I got from that to taking my power back to then going into spirituality, figuring out that I am not just a human, but I am a soul. And that soul is infinite and, and whole and complete and unconditionally loving and getting in touch with that part of myself. So through meditation and through mirror work and practices and um, all of the mindset stuff that I kind of, um, that, that transformed my life and really worked. And it took me years to do all of that. So I, I just wanted to condense it down for people who were like, where the fuck do I start? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and there's so much noise on social media now where it's like a million different people talking about a million different healing methods and yeah. modalities and mindset. And it's like, 
wait, which one do I even, I think that it's that overload, isn't it? It's like total overwhelm, too much information. So I really wanted and to just- And that pressure to be happy because I, I, yeah. might, I might actually do the Thrive Project because I feel like I'm in that place where it's like, I want so much to be happy and I want to feel like my old self. Yeah. And I do, I appreciate the joys in motherhood so much, but I still feel like I'm in the thick of like, what the fuck have I done with my life? As much as yeah. I'm grateful and as much as I'm happy and I'm excited for this next chapter, I'm also like, I need to yeah. find me And again. also just like for that part of you that's freaking out, because it's not the whole, it's not you in your entirety that's freaking out. Like like you said, there's part of you that's having a great time. There's part of you that's so grateful. There's part of you that's just like loving life and just so blessed and excited. But there's a part of you that's freaking out and like that is so normal and so human and like rather than trying to push that part of you away and be like oh why am I freaking out I don't want to freak out it's like how can you pull it in closer and be like make friends with that part of you that's freaking out and be like what do you need ask her like that part of you like like that's what I love to do with same as like shadow work and parts work it's like take the parts of you that are freaking out that are anxious that are doubting yourself and make friends with them and then they'll they'll calm down they just want to be heard. I feel like that's good advice as well because I put so much pressure on myself of like, why am I not happy or why am I not getting my work done? Because that's what I find hard that you're still expected to work like you don't have the family life. Mm -hmm. But then when you've got like the kids and the timings of that, it's like I'm almost letting down both sides. And then yeah. it's like when you saying that, it's like, God, I'm not surprised that I'm like stressed because yeah. I'm trying to be every everything to everyone else yeah exactly and also to ask yourself like well, that expectation that you feel where does it actually come from is it your own expectation or is it actually from other people and how are you taking their expectations and making it yours and also just realize where you're applying the pressure in your own life if you in like listen to yourself and be like is it that I want to focus more on being a mum right now? Or is it that I want to focus more on work and do I have to do all of this and hold all of this? Which parts can I let go of? Which parts don't actually need me right now? And then just doing like, I like to do a brain dump. Like a, one of my favorite journaling practices is just to write down absolutely everything that's on your mind that you feel like you have to do. This might be good for you right now, feeling overwhelmed. Like literally don't stop writing. Set a timer for like 15 minutes and just squeeze every last thing out of your brain look at it all and then start to just cross off the shit that you just do not need to be holding on to, that you can cancel, that you can say no to, that you can make one phone call and be like, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm knackered, I can't do this right now. And then you'll get down to a list of like, maybe like five or six things that you're like, yeah, I can handle this. And you just feel this like sense of oh, calm. It's okay to say no, you know? God, I feel like that's good advice that we all need. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> practice, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, right, brain dump, let's go. <laughs> so let's um, finish on. I'd love to for you to give maybe like the two most helpful bits of advice that you could give to mums. Oh, and to mums, okay. Two most helpful bits of advice that you could give to mums. I would say huge, biggest piece of advice for every human, every mom is self-compassion like stop expecting so much from yourself and stop treating yourself in a way that you wouldn't treat other people. Like offer yourself and extend to yourself the same level of compassion and kindness and grace that you give to others. Um, you deserve it first and you actually need it. Like you need compassion within yourself to be happy. The other one I would say is what we've spoken about. It's like when you're raising your children, one of the best gifts that you can give to them is your own healing and working on yourself actually serves them and it's not selfish um, because you get to embody the best version of you and, and when they get the best version of you they become the best version of themselves oh i love that and even <laughs> like i feel like there's lots of nuggets of advice in here like how to install boundaries and how not to be swept up in the opinions and the justy weights but um, Megan, thank you so much so for coming welcome. on. I actually thank feel a lot calmer, so Yay. hopefully you guys <laughs> listening um, got a lot from the episode as well. And um, thank you so much for listening to Mums of the Word, the parenting podcast. Um, I don't have um, a message today just because I feel like we covered so much ground. I wanted to hear everything, <laughs> squeeze all the nuggets of wisdom from Megan. Um, but I do love to hear from you. So um, do get in touch, whether it's on WhatsApp, where you can send a voice message, which is obviously free. Um, the number is 07 
599-299-29927537. Or of course, you can email at askmumstheWordPod. Um, and if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I also see those as well. So whether you want to discuss anything that we talked about or whether there's a topic you'd like me to discuss, um, get in touch and I'll be back with another episode, same time, same place next week. I'm sure as parents, we all know how messy things can get, whether that's around the house, during mealtimes, and even when it comes to our little ones themselves. When it comes to wiping Alf's messy face and body, I want to be sure that what I am using is the best choice for his skin. With baby eczema and nappy rash being common conditions, using wipes for sensitive skin is a must. We've both been loving water wipes. We've actually used them since Alf was born and they gently clean and help protect delicate newborn and premature baby's skin. They're made of just two ingredients, so 99.9% water and a drop of fruit extract. That means they are the best wipe choice for sensitive skin. Alf loves them and I even find myself using them. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.